Blue Apron, because you don't actually want to fucking cook when you're unpacking boxes. This podcast is not actually sponsored by Blue Apron. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Grilled Cheese and Gin, the podcast where we empower women, talk about problematic favorites, and discuss all the ways that you can realize your changeable dream. I'm Jessica Hurd, OG podcast listener. And I'm Vicki Scott, newbie podcast listener and roller derby widow. Why are we starting this podcast? We're starting this podcast because I called you, Vicki, a couple weeks back because I had just moved to LA with my spouse. I was sitting on the couch and I had watched all the TV there was to watch. I'm really desperate for advice and a a companionable conversation with somebody about what you do when you move with your spouse. I remembered that my friend Vicky had <laughs> moved twice with her spouse to follow spouse's dreams, but had also done some really great things along the way. You had a video blog and I wanted to do a podcast and we were like, why don't we do a podcast? Right? Is that how <laughs> I, you tell it from your side? Well, it was kind of like that. You you contacted me and said, hey, do you have any tips and tricks? And I was like going through all the things that I went through. And I was like, yeah, you need to, you know, get out there, go outside. Because I made a huge mistake when I moved to Minnesota. I didn't go outside for like a year. <laughs> <laughs> so that was my first bit of advice. But yeah, we, we started talking and it was like one of those things where we both realized we, we really wanted to do some internet content. Podcasts are really big right now. We're both very into podcasts. It, it makes a lot of sense for us to have like a chatty podcast, not only just to keep in contact, but also to talk about some of these harder subjects and talk about like being women and being women in this reality. And you and I both have this idea that we don't want to go back to a terrible, terrible desk job. Maybe, maybe some more creative, more creative ideas will come out of this. Maybe this will be our our excellent way of getting our creative needs met. But yeah, just seemed like a good fit. Yeah. So in this segment, we also we, we just want to do housekeeping, like check in. Do you want me to talk about the the naming of the podcast, or do you want to do that after? Oh yeah, yeah. Sorry, please <laughs> tell us about the naming. It's kind of an inside joke between the two of us. At one point, your husband Jacob had like started a gin collection. He'd been getting different kinds of gin from all of his friends for all of like birthdays and anniversaries and stuff. So you had built up quite a stock of gin. <laughs> And I remember at one point you guys throwing a grilled cheese and gin party and Aubrey and I thought that was just super duper interesting. Like, (laughs) and it turned out like it was, it was, I thought it was going to be like really odd to have this pairing of like grilled cheese sandwiches and gin drinks, but it really wasn't. It worked out really well. Somehow you guys like knew the correct cheese to go with the gin and had like these really fancy grilled cheese sandwiches and we all just sat around and talked. I feel like that is kind of the the essence of our not not the essence of our relationship but one of the like really mile markers it was either that or uh Jacob and Joseph bought my grill so Grilled cheese and gin has a little more oomph. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get into the meat. The meat, the real reason we're talking. Yes. So moving for a spouse's job, for us, my spouse, Jacob, is a writer. And he, ever since I've known him, he's been writing plays and screenplays and pilots and spec scripts. He was actually going to move to LA five weeks after I met him. He actually did come down here to LA, scoped out apartments and was thinking about how he was going to get a job. And as he was doing some journaling at one of the coffee shops in Hollywood, his car got towed. Oh, and God. 
And he just took that as like a, I think I should go back to this girl. I think that's, <laughs> I think LA is not welcoming me at this moment. We should, I'll come back later. Fast forward to 2010, we were married, we had moved to Las Vegas for kind of a random reason, but also because he wanted to write, but it wasn't creative writing. It was that he wanted to work as a writer during the day while he was developing his skill set as a creative writer for screen. And he kept taking classes and coming out here. And so I kind of always knew in the back of my head, we were going to have to move to LA. And then he got a job in LA. Mm-hmm. And it was like, all right, well, we're going. But I was still kind of angry about it. So what I did is I drew up a three-year plan for him. <laughs> like, <laughs> you will meet this many people. You will go to this many networking events. And you will make these relationships. You will have these many scripts written. I totally did the whole job coach thing for him, but it was not because I wanted to job coach him. It was literally because I was like, I want to have a deadline where we look at this in kind of like a smart goal point of view and be able to look back at the end of three years and assess whether we're still okay with pursuing this. Because the other thing is, is that we're not 19 years old and a lot of people come to LA when they're 19, you know, we're not established in our careers at this age. And I kind of was like, you know, three years gone by and we are not getting anywhere. Like I really just wanted to have some measurements that we could look at very objectively and say, uh, yeah, this is not working. I, I am not happy or you're not happy or, uh, let's move. That really was helpful to him, but there was still some like bitterness on my side and, and anger that I couldn't really describe. And so we did uh, have one of those epic kind of conversations in therapy. In that epic conversation, I think we established some closure on past and present and future expectations, put some regrets aside, really put some, put some things in place that made this move good for me as well. Mm-hmm. Not mm-hmm. just for him. I mean, I, I still don't have a day job and that's not cool income wise, but being able to have this discussion with you, like being able to pursue a, a dream podcast a couple of years ago or even a couple months ago, I don't even know if that would have been okay for me to discuss with Jacob and feel like I, I really need some time to detox from some of my past decisions and my jobs. And the expectations that I put on myself, I need to take some time and I need you to support me in that. It turned out to be a super positive thing, although super scary and calling you and being like, what do I do? How do I get motivated? I know I need to meet people, but how? What should I do? So that's how the decision happened. Like it was an inevitable thing all along, but for definitely for me, There was some groundwork, some painful groundwork that needed to happen. I guess another thing that happened was I was at a job that had some golden handcuffs. I was making more money than I really ever thought that I would be making. It gave me the ability to sock some money aside so that this time right now is not excruciating. This time right now is okay. In the past, when I've been laid off from jobs or when I moved to Las Vegas the first time, horrible, 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 because we had a ton of debt and I had no job and he had a job, but it was, he was making so little money. It was very difficult. And we we were in definitely different maturity levels and a different place in our relationship. So it was really difficult. This this time right now is much better than any of the other times that we have moved. <laughs> I think you did a really good job like laying out your your story. I've moved for Aubrey now, I think, more times than two. Aubrey and I moved from Tahoe, which is where we went to school together. We went to college together and where we met and where we got together to Las Vegas. It was a very good idea. And I and it was 2008. So we needed to make a decision really fast and get a job, period. Like we need to get a job immediately, because otherwise we would not have gotten through that time period, like the recession happened and everything went to poop. So I think in the long run, it was a really good decision. But it was, hey, let's go move in with my parents for a year. 
until we get on our feet. And that was so scary to me to like go back and live in someone else's house. Cause I moved out of my parents' house. I mean, not officially. I didn't move out of my, my mom's house officially until I guess I was 19. Unofficially, I hadn't lived in my parents' house since I was 16. Cause I would go and stay at friends' houses all the time. I had my own car, which means I was at my sister's house all the time. I had my own, you know, I went to PSEO, which is a program where you can enroll in college classes. So I didn't even go to high school. Like I went my senior year of high school. I didn't go to high school. I went to college, which means I had college friends. And so the idea of moving into someone's house and who were still parenting two children who were in high school, I just knew that that was going to be a terrible, terrible situation. Oh, wow. Yeah. But, but. Again, like the logical brain in me was like, okay, we have to do this. Like we don't have very many other options. Our other option is staying in Tahoe where we can't really afford rent. Like rent is unbelievable in Tahoe. She had a job that she hated and I was working at Starbucks. And so that is what made our decision. But then like it was just as excruciating as we thought it would be because they didn't know exactly what to do with us because they can't really parent us. They can't really tell us what to do, but they wanted to because we lived in their house. So that was the first time I moved with Aubrey. <laughs> Luckily, we didn't um, we didn't stay there for a full year. I think we got out a couple of months early. Our life greatly improved once we got our first apartment, yada, yada, yada. So then we stayed. I actually thought we were going to live in Las Vegas for like a couple of years, like a year, couple of years. And then it ended up being like five years that we lived in Las Vegas. So we stayed in Las Vegas far too long. In that time, I had like applied to college, um, to Aberdeen, University of Aberdeen. So I thought, okay, this is how I moved to a place that I want to go live. I applied to a university and then we moved there and we got all the way up into the point of like, like getting set to move. And then I realized like, Oh, she's not gonna, she's not ready to support me through this. Like she hasn't come up with any kind of way to disconnect from her job or get a different job or anything. Like it's all on me. And the prospect of coming up with all of the money to move and coming up with the, with, all of this stuff. And then knowing that I'm not going to work while I'm in university because I'm not allowed to and having to do all this stuff. I was just like, I can't, I can't do it. I'm sorry. I'm going to, I'm going to back out of this. I'm not going to go to university of Aberdeen. That's just not going to, that's just not in the cards. And instead what I did was go to a university in Las Vegas and got my teaching credential. So that was, yeah. That was a, a missed opportunity for me to move for for us to move for me. And then Aubrey got into grad school and it was kind of the same thing, except that it was in Pittsburgh. So it was in the U.S. and it was Carnegie Mellon. So obviously you, you really want to go to Carnegie Mellon if you have an opportunity to. And I also knew that I could that I knew all of the pieces that went into that. And I knew I could support her through that. That ended up being a lot of very terrible experiences because I I couldn't get a job there because like I was fully planning to like get a job, support us through that whole experience. It would be fine. We would get out on the other side and find a different life. No, apparently you can't get jobs in, in Pittsburgh unless you've lived there your entire life. So I was actually sitting in an interview with a woman. I was acing the shit out of an interview because by this point I'm excellent at giving interviews. I'm excellent at writing resumes and cover letters and giving <laughs> interviews. Like I am on it. I know how to do this because I have done this hundreds of times and gotten many different jobs. And um, so I'm looking at this woman and I can tell she's like ready to hire me. Like you, you know, that moment yeah. in the interview she's like ready. They're like ready to hire you. And then like her face just switches. She lets me go. She like says, thank you. We're still interviewing people, blah, blah, blah. Like this spiel. And she calls me while I'm in the parking lot. She's like, I'm sorry, I can't hire you. Like, I really want to hire you. And I couldn't tell you that like in that moment, but I can't hire you because we have an internal applicant that I have to hire. 
Ah, and that's that's just like a small sliver of what happened in Pittsburgh. So, needless to say, I did not support us through Pittsburgh. The United States federal government student <laughs> supported us. <laughs> so how we got to move to Minnesota is there was a game company here in Northfield, which is where we're living. Aubrey knew she wanted to make Nintendo games, so she was looking up small game studios that work for Nintendo. And one of them was in Texas, and a couple of them are in California. And this one was randomly in Northfield, Minnesota, which is, I like, I know people who went to college here, and I have been here a couple of times. And, and I'm like, this is what you do. <laughs> I know the the feeling of being a Minnesotan. And I also have interviewed for so many jobs at this point that I, I, I know what to do. Like you email him. Aubrey's like, there's no like application. There's no indication that there is anybody. He's not, he's not hiring. This guy is not hiring. I'm like, okay, email him and say, hi, my wife is from Minnesota. We are looking to move back to Minnesota. And these are my credentials. And I go to Carnegie Mellon and la la la. And like we put together a nice little introduction letter with links to all of her different games that she's made and all of her credentials. And she's, by the way, Aubrey is a Randy Pausch scholar and she's gotten the, um, I don't know, she's gotten all of these awards. And so she's very well credentialed to get any job she wants. And so I'm just like, just send the email because if you say that I'm from Minnesota, he will give you an interview. She's like, I don't even know if that's true. I'm like, uh, no, it's true. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, lo and behold, she gets this interview, gets like a two hour long phone interview with this guy. And, you know, we come here, we get another set of interviews. And yeah, that we just end up moving. But yeah, like I went through a similar thing to you when when we moved here. I mean, I guess I did to some extent while we were in Pittsburgh, but I was like, I was super motivated to try and get a job while we were in Pittsburgh. So I didn't do as much like sad watching TV and like wallowing as I did while I was here. Because when I got here, I was like, okay, I'm done. I can't physically... I can't do any more. And I, I just like sat down and collapsed because I had, even though I wasn't financially supporting her all the way through grad school, I was emotionally supporting her and I was, I was doing everything. I was, uh, you know, making sure the house was clean, making sure that the laundry was clean because she, in grad school, it was like 18 hour days. I never saw her. Um, I, forced her to go grocery shopping with me once a week. Otherwise we wouldn't get food in the house and I would see her. So that was like the one thing I did with her. Um, yeah. I, I mean, grad school is scary and like almost relationship breaking. <sighs> what? But so like I kind of deflated when I moved, when I got to Minnesota, it was the summertime. I was like, I don't even want to go outside. I don't even want to, I don't want to look at anything. I'm going to sit on the internet. I'm going to sit. And so I, yeah, I went into this really depressive place. I, I finished off my grad program that I was in at the time. That's all I did. That's why when you reached out to me, I was like, okay, here we go. This is not going to happen to you. <laughs> You're going to go, <laughs> you're going to go find people who are doing open mic nights. You're going to go find book clubs. You're going to like, cause you have to find community and you have to have a reason to leave the house every day. And if you are into exercising, I highly suggest like, okay, this is the time of day that I go run period. End of story. I just do that every day and having a routine so that you get, so you don't get into this place where you start to resent the decisions that you've made and start to resent your spouse and start to be like, oh, you've done this to me, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because it's a decision that you made together. And even if it was like one of those grudging, okay, I guess we have to move to Las Vegas or okay, I guess we have to move to Pittsburgh. <laughs> Pittsburgh. 
In this episode about moving for a spouse, Vicki interviews her aunt, Beth Scott, about her multiple moves for her spouse. Listening to it, I'm really energized by the rationality of their planning and budgeting and the trade-offs. Spoilers, it works out pretty well. All right, you're on. Hi, this is Beth. I have the wonderful privilege of calling this woman aunt because she is Aubrey's aunt. And she is someone that I have known for several years now. And we have we have off and on talked about different issues regarding moving for different reasons and moving for a spouse. And her most recent move was actually back to Las Vegas after several years in her home state of Missouri. So hi, welcome. Hi. <laughs> Thank you for asking me to do this. <laughs> So just give me an overview. What what kind of what kind of things go went into the decision making process? Because I know it was a long process um, for you to decide to make the trip back to Las Vegas from Missouri. So coming back from Las Vegas, the decision factors that went into play was um, they were all pretty much financially um, thought out at. First, it was we went back to Missouri for school. Um, Nick wanted to finish his nursing degree, and we needed to do it where he could not have to work and go to school at the same time. So um, when he went, um, when he when he got there and finished his degree and got to a point where we were ready to move back. I decided that I wanted to go on and get my degree. Um, and so that kind of prolonged the stay. So when we started, when we got to a point where we were finished with education, which was the purpose of going to Missouri, um, then it was, are we marketable in our, in our respective field? And do we have the experience and reference, professional references behind us in order to make a move to somewhere where absolutely nobody knows us in our fields? So Nick finished his nursing degree, you said, and then what exactly are your professions? So um, Nick is an RN, uh, and he finished his bachelor's degree, and I am a licensed clinical social worker. Which requires a master's. Which requires a master's and three years, or I'm sorry, two years of supervision and 40 hours, 40, um, four, I'm sorry, 3,000 clinical hours. Okay, so about th- like about five. five years. Yeah, it was it was three years for schooling, and then two years for me to get my clinical uh, supervision and license. And then, what was what kind of things did you look at to make sure that you guys were marketable in your respective fields? The things that indicated to us whether or not we were marketable was. Nick had to have his bachelor's degree. We originally had gone out there with the plan for him to only get his master or sorry, only to get his associates. Mm-hmm. And then um, through that process, we, I found out uh, because I had the opportunity to work at an educational or an, I'm sorry, an academic hospital. I knew that the trend was going from your two year degree to your four year degree. And so that prolonged that process, which was another two years. So I, that prolonged that process for Nick. Um, so he, his benchmark was he had to have his master, or sorry, he had to have his bachelor's degree at least um, four years experience underneath his belt. Um, we preferred five, but we were willing. Our first mark was like, you need to be at least practicing for four years. Mm-hmm. Um, and then for me, it was... I had to get my, I had to finish my clinical license because transferring that in the middle of that process would have been, especially from state to state, and would have been difficult. I would not have had the connections out here to find somebody to give me clinical hours or supervision. So there were certain just basic credential things that needed to happen. Um, But what was kind of the the driving force, like why specifically Las Vegas? What, and you, you mentioned it was sort of financial, but I know that you also have family out there. You had lived there before. Why was it a financial boon for you guys to move out to Las Vegas? 
oh, to come back to Las Vegas. I'm sorry. I think I was, um, I possibly confused that a little bit. It was fine. The reason we went to, we had to make sure. So the financial aspect of it came into play that when we were finished with all of these things, we had to make sure because back in Missouri, um, you know, we didn't have many, many living expenses. Mm -hmm. And so to make sure we set ourselves up that we were going to take what we had in Missouri as far as a budget and be able to transpose that into Nevada and or into Las Vegas and be able to live. So it was we had to make sure that we were going to be able to sustain a budget. Okay. And you said you also um you moved out to Missouri to make sure school got finished and everything. Um, and one of the factors for moving out there was it was a low enough cost of living that Nick uh, didn't have to be in uh, in a in a he didn't have to be working. Yeah. But did you find that you you were making enough money to support the both of you with what you had before you had your master's degree? Like, where what were you doing before you had your master's? Oh my gosh. Um, so I had my bachelor's in psychology and not that my job was fruitful enough to support our family, but it was really the sell of our house that allowed us to do that because we, um, sold our house and then we walked into norm, no mortgage payment and no car payments when we moved. Mm -hmm. okay. So that was how we were able to sustain on my peanuts that I, that I got. <laughs> <laughs> Were there was there any trepidation on your part? Because I know that you, um, you were starting to make some some decent money and some decent connections in Missouri. Was there any like worry that you were gonna walk into a that you were going to find a job that was comparable in Las Vegas, or is the market pretty much wide open there as well? No. I, there was a lot of trepidation and I was really worried about job market. Um, and that is because I'm in the mental health field mm -hmm. and there just are not services in Las Vegas. There's just not the money to support it. So I was really nervous about that. And then it's such a small, and then it was such a small community excuse me uh, mental the social workers in general are such a small community that I didn't know anybody so that was another large concern um but really the benefit of going where we felt comfortable being back around um family and having some sort of sense of autonomy um was really important and far exceeded um, any thoughts of staying back in Missouri. Mm -hmm. And I know that Nick had a solid job offer when you moved, you were set to go. And then you said you just um, switched jobs. So tell me about that. Like, tell me about your job finding process when you got to Las Vegas. Cause I know you set up the house first, got everything going and then started looking for jobs. The job process, first I had to um, submit all of my licensure stuff. I So I had just passed my clinical exam on June 20, um, June 17th. I took my exam. I received my certification in the mail on June 24th, and I was in Las Vegas on J July 3rd. So I didn't stick around. I didn't let the grass grow under my feet once it's done. <laughs> um, so moving to Nevada after that was finished, then I had to reapply at this reapply in this state and had to submit all the paperwork all over again. So that took about, that took some time. Um, and I knew I had to do that before I did anything. Um, so the job market, um, the process that went into getting a job was once I, um, got my license, then I started, um, looking and had my number. I had to wait for my, my state number before I could actually apply. Mm. And once that happened, that process went, uh, took about three months. Mm -hmm. Initially, I got a job with the state that didn't require my clinical license, but I thought that it would be a great way to get into um, the social work field. It wasn't mental health. Kind of, it developed into that, but it w wasn't supposed to be. Um, but it was a way for me to start networking and and 
making connections with people in my field here in Las Vegas. So I took it, but it wasn't, um, it wasn't financially what I, what I was worth, um, in the job market, nor was it what it really, what I wanted to do. Um, and about, I did that for six months, uh, before somebody that I worked with knew somebody who knew a doctor who was looking for an LCSW and the trail went, I don't, I'm not one. Let me call my friend. My friend said, I'm not one, but you need to talk with Beth. And so, um, the doctor called me, then the program director of the hospital where they were wanting to open called me and the rest is history. I was at a job interview before I even knew it was a job interview. <laughs> yeah. Well, let me tell you, I, I, somebody, so I got fortunate that I fell into the, I, I don't believe anything ever happens for just because I think everything happens for a reason. And so, um, I had, I don't like change. Ironically, I have moved three times, but I don't like change. Um, it's difficult for me. And so giving up a job that I held for 10 years in professional relationships that I cultivated. And, um, that was tough for me. So when I came to the state, I was like really resistant and really, I was really kind of scared. Didn't know what I was getting myself into. And, um, I got into something, didn't you? But the people that I met on that journey, and specifically my boss, um, who was has a wealth of experience, and she was able to tell me that, you know, when a woman changes careers, it never goes. A man's, I don't know if you can see, but a man's job is inclined. He goes straight up like this. Mm-hmm. And a woman, because we have to take time off to have kids, we are the ones that usually move for our families and for our husbands and things come up and we have to take care of family members or whatever. Ours goes like this, up, back down. We have to rebuild and we can go back up. So ours is more jagged. It's not a straight incline. And when she shared that with me, I totally feel it. Um, I'm a... I'm a very career minded woman. Mm-hmm. Um, that is important to me. And professional growth is probably what keeps me going. And that's why I keep getting up and going to work every day. But I can totally feel that. Um, so I, I had to come back down and go in and flatline and make, you know, make connections and what have you. But the job that I say that because the job that I've ended up in was very timely. I started contacting people from Missouri and I'm like, this is my vision. This is what I want to do. I want you to come do this with me. Are you interested? And I didn't get any yeses and I didn't get any no's. I was told maybe not right now. Need to come visit, need to see the market, that kind of stuff. Um, and then I said, I just put it out in the universe and I just said, okay, this is what I want to do. Put me with the people that can help me do this. And I got a phone call. And what I, what I, what ended up is I am part of a team of people who have money to develop a hospital and they brought me in on that team to help develop their treatment program. Mm -hmm. So I'm building, which is what I wanted to do. I'm increasing my professional skills because I've never done inpatient. I've never been in a management position. I've, I've, I get to hire people. I get to do to know offer letters. I get to learn all of these other administrative stuff. And it just, oh, it's, it over, it's overwhelming because of the gratitude that I feel for the opportunity that I've been given, but, and I'm getting paid really well to do it. <laughs> It's very nice <laughs> to finally say, okay, I'm kind of feel like I'm getting paid for what I'm worth. This is nice. <laughs> so, yeah. So you're so on the, on the upper part of your jagged upswing. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I've come out of the cove a little bit and I'm going back up and, um, we'll see what happens. Um, just kind of like on a side note, because, you know, you're my niece, the, <laughs> Um, the company that I work with bought the hospital. They went, in, so I work. The the people that hired me is a management company. They go in, they buy underperforming hospitals, they flip them, they sell them. Mm. So they worked at Desert 
I think it's Desert View, Desert View in Pahrump, mm-hmm. um, which was getting ready to close about four years ago. They came in, flipped management in the hospital, opened clinics in the community, um, got the hot with a lot of community resistance, as you can imagine. Nobody wanted anybody to come in and do anything in Pahrump. Mm-hmm. But they got it up and running. It was turning a profit, doing very, very well. Valley came in and purchased it from them. Oh. And so, yeah. And so then they went from that realm to um, quotes for, I mean, reimbursement rates for the geriatric population just got approved and they went. They were increased. And so they went from that. Then they started doing a market study and what have you and went into um, decided they wanted to get into geriatric psych. Mm-hmm. But it never opened a standalone center and um, had done opening hospitals and things like that. There's like three partners and they've got done a couple of centers across. Like there's one in Georgia, one in Pahrump, and I think there's another one out there that they've done. But not standalone psych and they didn't have any social worker here. And so they brought me on board and they're like, okay, well, we're going to do this piece. You need to autonomously work. This is what I want from you. Mm-hmm. And so it's really fulfilling to be able to put together a treatment manual that's about this thick <laughs> of groups. Basically, I put together groups outlines so that anybody can pick up the book on any day and say, okay, we're having this group today. Okay, here's the outline for groups. So then it becomes my job to train people to be able to run groups, credential them, whole kinds of other level of stuff um, from administratively that I have to learn how to do. They're relatively short, mind you, because we're getting ready to open August 1st. (laughs) So, yeah, um, it's going to be fast and furious and pretty exciting. So what are what are some of the other things that um, I know that you talked a little bit about your decision making process, but like, are there any sort of emotional things, emotional parts other than there's family here, I just want to be like back in Vegas or um, on Nick's part, like I just want to be in a real, in this much better hospital or are they comparable? Um, so we got lucky. First of all, I feel extremely blessed that life for us has just kind of unfolded the way that it has. Um, so I think I, I feel like I need to just state that first because mm-hmm. that, make me and Nick completely grateful for opportunities that have just come our way. Some people, it it doesn't always happen so easily for some people, Mm -hmm. Um, but things have just kind of rolled into place, which just further validates to me that everything that we've done along the way has just been the right thing to do uh, because it just has fallen into place for us. So the emotional ties that come into that beyond being blessed um, beyond recognition and being very grateful for the things that we have. Um, it, it's very comforting for us to be here. Um, first of all, we put ourselves in the situation where I don't have to work. Um, which when goes back to the decision-making process, when we decided when was the right time for us to move and and what does that look like when we get there? That was a piece of it. So retirement is important for us. So deciding to go to work and when to work and how long to work and all of that comes into retirement for us. Um, so I'm working for retirement, which makes me, again, very grateful and very free. There's a very liberating um, emotion that comes along with working when you don't have to. Mm-hmm. without feeling tied to a job because I don't feel that way at all. So um, it, it it's just comforting being back here and it feels that this is where we belong. So having just the sense of connectedness, we don't have any friends out here. We have none. It is me and Nick and Emily who has made, she has one good friend through school um, so we all made sacrifices cause we left those things back in Missouri, but what we have is we have, as you know, we have the relationship with his brother and sister-in-law and we are very close to them. So it's, it, it's, it, it's just comforting being where you want to be and feeling like this is where you're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. So could you speak a little bit to moving with kids? Because this is the second time you moved 
from Las Vegas to Missouri with kids, and then you moved from Missouri to Las Vegas with one now because your oldest is out of out of the house. Um, and she left, like like you were saying, she left a, a fair few friends behind. Just how mm-hmm. how did that come up? Like, were you able to talk through it with her? She's obviously old enough to understand what's going on and everything at this point. Mm-hmm. Well, before we decided to move, we discussed the consequent or the 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 cost of moving um, together as a family, which meant, you know, leaving certain people, excuse me, in Missouri that we wouldn't see them as often as we do. However, for Emily and friendship at that time, when we started seriously contemplating moving back, um, she was really struggling socially in school. Very, very much so. And she was on board 100% with moving, wasn't afraid of it at all. And then we got here. I mean, then the school got out for the summer at the end of May. We left at the end of June and Abidarn within that 30 days, she developed three really great friendships with people that she had gone to school with, which made the move for her very emotionally draining. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, and she still struggles Um with losing those friendships. And we've had a lot of discussions. We continue to have a lot of discussions about um, friends and what friends are and um, that are, you know, we just, what friends mean and that friend, what friends want for other friends, you know, or friends, for example, her friends wouldn't want her to sit because she felt like she was betraying them. Had she made other friends, Mm. Um, which this was a really relatively new phenomenon for Emily because she never really had friends. She really was socially isolated. And so up until the point where we moved. And so, um, I told her that her friends wouldn't want her to sit back and make no new friends because she missed them so much that she was completely lonely. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of how we approached that with her. Um, coming back to Vegas, when we moved to Missouri the first time and we had um, Ashley was, gosh, I think she was 11. She was 10 or 11. She was going into fifth grade. And um, I don't know. She never voiced any disdainment or any concern about moving. And she really wasn't connected to, I wouldn't say she didn't have like a best friend in Vegas when we moved the first time. So um, kids are resilient. And that was always my, my mindset, you know, as we had these discussions. So um, I think that uh, if I had to do it, that was also a, a factor when we decided to move was it had to be done before Emily became established where she was at. And up until that last 30 days, <laughs> <laughs> she wasn't. <laughs> so that certainly it, it, it's a factor. And I think it should be a factor. I think that, you know, your kids deserve the opportunity to voice their concerns with any of that. Well, and part of the reason that Jessica and I started this podcast and part of why we reconnected was that we sort of felt isolated away from our friends and our communities. Um, and so I was just wondering, what do you, you said you don't have very many friends in Las Vegas, but you friends in Las Vegas. Um, I made, um, I struggle. So it's really, um, Emily and I, at this point, you know, her friends are the daughters of my friends. So it's really, it's a unique um, situation, but we feel the same in that, you know, we miss them and that is a huge thing, but um, you know, we're thankful for text and phone calls and Facebook that helps stay connected with people, um, social media and texts, especially. Um, in fact, I used, that's why I got onto Facebook. when We moved to Missouri because that was a way for me to connect with, um, AJ and Brian and Taylor. It was a way for me to stay connected in Las Vegas as we went to Missouri. Mm-hmm. So that's a little tidbit. So social media has helped a lot. And, um, yeah, so the only 
if I, you know, the only people that I know now are people that I worked with at the state and um, I, they're not friends. They're all acquaintances at this point. I, I'm pretty guarded when it comes to friends, which I think Emily probably gets that honestly. <laughs> she comes by it honestly. Yeah. Poor thing. <laughs> but that's really good that you guys can maintain relationships through social media, through, you know, text. And, and that, that was going to definitely be my question is how do you, how do you, um, cultivate those relationships when you're across such a distance and, um, it's similar to your relationships from what I know of you and some of the friends that you have. Um, all of my friends I made when I was in middle school, a few of them I made when I was in high school. So we're talking at this point, I've been friends with my dearest friend, with my very, the person I would identify as my best friend with some typical girl up and downs for 30 years. Um, and then everybody else, the the other people that I would identify as my really close friends, like we met when we were 12, 13, 14, 15, within that time frame. So, yeah. <laughs> and sometimes we've gone years without talking and um, we moved back. Everyone was in the same area. And so, you know, we kind of now we have social media and cell phones to stay together and connected that way. So. One of the things that I told Jessica, because uh, she was feeling very disconnected when she moved out of Las Vegas, is I'm like, oh, yeah, you've got to find community. You've got to have a hobby um, to go hang out with people. So she's very into art and reading and all of that stuff. So she, like, found an art group or a theater group to go be with. So are there any are there any things that you're doing or suggestions that you have for cultivating community because you have you built a whole new community in Missouri I mean it was an old community but it was a new community and then what are some things that you're like eager to start doing once you get your you're fully settled in um well I go to the library a lot to go look at um the activities that are going on there like they have a sewing circle and they always have painting and I think this weekend or maybe next weekend, not real sure, they're doing um, like a community drum line, which is actually a really cool um, thing. Um, but they, the picture of it was a bunch of different ethnic drums from um, all over the world and percussion instruments and what have you and um, to come in and just make noise together as a group. So kind of cool idea. Um, so we look at those things. We look at the, we live in Summerlin. So we look at the, act, the Summerlin has an activity um, guide that I think comes out by uh, every other month. And then, um, so we look at that and uh, I haven't done anything um I don't really know why. I encourage Emily to go. Are you guys actively looking for um, a gaming group? Do you try to coerce your family into doing gaming? <laughs> I mean, you never had to coerce us, but. Right. Um, well, so as you know, that's more, um, that's not as easy as it might sound. <laughs> We've gotten together a couple of times for a gaming night and it, it doesn't work. <laughs> so we've given up on that idea and it makes me sad because we really like playing games (laughs) so just kind of to close out is there anything else you wanted to mention about moving the process moving with kids developing relationships anything any pearl of wisdom from you to us i would just say somebody who has moved three times for her husband with a child each time sometimes they don't want to go and sometimes you have the adult foresight to know that it's in the family's best interest and kids are resilient they will adjust um but then it's also important to be aware of that and um acknowledge it and um help support and foster and cultivate things that need to happen in order to make that process okay for them. And also just being aware of when of your own personal emotional needs as well. 
So, you know, I'm just understanding that it, when you move, it's hard and just being aware of that and under, and knowing, um, and being open to ideas to how to cope with that. You just sound so much more well-adjusted than me because it sounds like your mantra is kind of like the, you know, luck is what happens when preparedness meets opportunity. Like you're just, Oh, look, look how prepared we are for this lovely opportunity. You're so funny, Vicki, because truthfully, we always, we plan, we plan, we hope for the best plan for the worst. And it always falls somewhere in the middle. So I'm always happily surprised that it didn't go in the worst case scenario. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for talking to me and letting me record all of your wisdom, and I appreciate it. Hey, everybody. We hope you are enjoying our Grilled Cheese and Gin podcast. For the next three weeks, from July 20th through August 3rd, 2017, we are launching our first Patreon. If you give just $1 to put some butter on our bread, we will mention you in future episode credits. Check that out and our other reward levels at Patreon slash Grilled Cheese and Gin. Also, please rate us and review us on iTunes and tell all your friends about us by tweeting and sharing us on all your favorite social media. It is now time for the credits. Thank you to Blue Apron and Squarespace. I mean, they aren't actually sponsors, but we do like them. Thanks to Jacob and Aubrey for their support of our changeable dream. Thanks to our guest, Beth Scott, for sharing her experiences moving for her spouse. Thanks to Scott Haskin for the music. Thanks to Cassie, our producer, for cracking that whip and all of the art of grilled cheese and gin. If you like this podcast, please leave a message on iTunes and we will give you a great big consensual interweb hug. You can also email us your questions at grillcheeseandgin at gmail.com and follow us on our website at www.grillcheeseandgin.com. Facebook and Pinterest are Grilled Cheese and Gin. Twitter at Grilled Cheese Gin, spelled G-R-I-L-L-E-D-C-H-E-Z-G-I-N. Also, each of us are starting our own individual podcast shortly. Keep an ear out for those. Check out episode number two. We talk about our approaches to finding jobs after moving. In it, we interview our producer, Cassie, who will talk about how she lives and works as an animation artist and, as a result, is constantly on the hunt for jobs like a leopard stalking an impala. This episode of Grilled Cheese and Gin was brought to you by TaskRabbit. TaskRabbit.com, the app where you can get other people to come over to your house and build your IKEA furniture for you because you know you don't want to do that shit by yourself. TaskRabbit.com, the best way to get your IKEA furniture built. This podcast was not actually sponsored by TaskRabbit.com.